Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the title of today's show is The Mystical Path to Truth, and I'm going to be happy to have as a guest uh, Carol Romine, who is the author of the new book, Avatars of Consciousness. Before we talk to Carol, though, I'd like to also tell you about another guest we'll have later in the show, Lynn Paul, who is the former director of Life Spectrums out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, this organization, for the past 32 years, has provided a multitude of opportunities for exploration and growth as it seeks greater awareness through an inner quest for enlightenment. Now getting to today's show, one of the things we always try to do here is that we try to find common ground between science and religion. And it's not just finding common ground, but it's finding some point where these two can be combined into one system of thought or system of spirituality. Both science and religion, and even philosophy, I think, all seek the same truth, but through different methods and different perspectives. And if there is truth, then there has got to be only one truth, and these various methods simply are different ways to the get to the same conclusion. We're all familiar with the scientific method, and in the current materialistic model, this involves looking for truth outside of us, whether in a particle or far out in space. Religions, at least the organized religions, tend to believe truth is revealed in sacred scriptures, such as the Upanishads, the Bible, or the Koran. And in this sense, God is viewed as speaking through the authors, and the word, his word is unchanging. We simply have to find the messages that resonate for us today. But there's another way to approach truth, and that is the inward journey, and this is the journey of the mystic. Now, I'm not sure why we use the word mystic, but it's, it's a common way to describe this inward journey to understand yourself and what the ultimate foundation to the world is. Many people are, I think, too quick to write off mysticism in the same way they may write off the paranormal, ghosts, goblins, or anything that seems strange. On the other hand, uh, as I've just looked at the Gallup poll on uh, the belief in the paranormal, it looks as if about three-quarters of the American public believe in the paranormal. So each of us, I think, has the sense that there is truth inside of us. Another thing that I would point out is that it seems as if this this tendency to listen to our inward our inward course, our inward uh, conscious mind is is starting to come more and more front and center in modern culture. I have in front of me a, a issue of Newsweek from a couple of months ago. The title is "Heaven Is Real," and this is a neuroscientist. Uh, experience of the afterlife and in this magazine article which is which is excerpted from his book 
he talks about an, a near-death experience where he is convinced that another realm exists outside of the material world. And we should also not forget on this note that philosophy, religion, and even science all look to the primacy of consciousness in forming reality, but they take different routes. They take different perspectives. For example, Descartes, if we may remember, he's the I think, therefore I am guy. But in his meditations, uh, he said that he is primarily a thinking thing, a, a mind. That's When he doubted everything else, he could not doubt the fact that he thought. Eastern religions, we know from Hinduism and Buddhism, they believe that there's one mind at the base of reality. Moving to science, we know that in quantum theory, there is an interconnection be between consciousness and the material world, or what we think is a material world. So all of these different fields are leading to the same point, which is that there is something fundamental about consciousness, about mind, being at the root of existence. Now, if consciousness is at the root, then we would expect certain people to be in tune with this reality and to bring back insights from this close connection to consciousness. And one more thing, one more scientist I'd like to bring up here, and, that, and this guy is Albert Einstein, who said that we can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created the problem. You have to rise above the, the level of awareness that led you to create the problem in the first place. So the problem we have today is that we think we're separate creatures, we think we're separate beings, we pray to separate gods, different nationalities, different religions, but is there one thing, one unified consciousness really tying everybody together? Now, as I mentioned, Carol is uh, the author of Avatars of Consciousness, and as we'll see, she brings a unique perspective to this problem because she is a mystic. And Carol, I'd like to welcome you to the show. It's great having you. Thank you so much, Philip. I really look forward to our discussion today. I'm sure it's going to be stimulating. You know, we've talked about this before where we, where we come at things from different perspectives. But, but first of all, what does mysticism mean to you? Well, <clears throat> to me, the only way that I can explain my relationship with divine energy, divine consciousness, divinity, God, whatever you want to call that, is mysticism, which is really the inner path. It's that relationship, because of what happened when I was a young girl, uh, when I was four years old and I had an experience in surgery, I was simultaneously aware that I was, they were trying to save my life because I was a free bleeder. At the same time, I was having a, a conversation through telepathy with God and with angels, and all of that was happening at the same time. And when I experienced this, I realized that I remembered God. I realized that this wasn't my first interaction with this benevolent being. And when I woke up from surgery, it started me on a quest to understand why I was here and that other place was my true home and why I was separated. And the love that I connected with, the the inner connection of love 
was what drove everything from that point on in my life because it was that longing to once again be reunited with that level of consciousness and of love that drove everything, all of the questions, why are we here, uh, how does all of this work, uh, does, uh, is, does consciousness exist, exist after death? These are the things that by the time I was nine years old, I'd already read the Bible one time. I was seriously seeking answers to the human existence, and I was very always longing because I figured if I could figure it out and connect all the dots, I would be able to get back to this place and to this benevolent being. So the path... <clears throat> that I took was the inner path based on love of divinity, which really wasn't motivated by understanding myself or anything of the physical or of the identity. It was all based on knowing God, experiencing God, being more deeply connected to God, and allowing that relationship to really just unfold. And in doing that, we really connect with the relationship that all of us have to our divine essence. So in a, in a nutshell, mysticism is just the inner path, the inner exploration of our divine beingness, Philip. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always the case, it seems, is if we reach this point in critiquing the inner path, where it becomes a personal experience and 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 one of the problems that i think spirituality has in the modern world is 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 proving mysticism using the methods of science and because science wants wants empirical evidence you know they want to have a test they want a geiger counter a meter a, a, a you know you know some kind of instrument to measure this thing called spirituality but but then when you move to that experience which is no different than the religious experiences it's 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 no different than the awakenings people have had since the beginning of time since since you know the one that buddha had under the tree a couple thousand years ago and and, and so how do you address that that issue the issue of proof of, of of what i i know you've thought about it and i and i think you have a developed sense of that issue but but how do you deal with the proof issue well to me because i realized th if you think about it this way philip all of our great religions have really been based on individuals that have had mystical experiences Buddha's mystical experiences, uh, uh, the way of the Tao, uh, Christ, there's a, a lot of our world religions have at their core mysticism, though most people don't really think of that, because unless you experience it personally, re religion is learning to, is, is having faith and learning to accept things because of teachings and because of uh, written word because of certain doctrines, and when we're really in our spirituality, these things are just known to us, Philip. They're just, and the more we allow our inner truth, our inner knowing, our inner divinity to come forth, the more we awaken to ultimate truth, because there is just one ultimate truth, and that truth is that we and 
divinity and everything is identically the same essence, and it's only one inseparable, indivisible consciousness. And what we have when we, when we have to prove something to science, if you think about it, mysticism is always ahead of science in this realm, maybe not in medicine, Philip, but right. in this realm, it's always ahead because people that follow the inner path and that have that relationship with divine energy have the ability to perceive the unknown, the quantum, the essence, because that is simultaneously always present with the particle, the oneness, the individuality, especially on the earth plane. And what happens is that we, a lot of people wait for science or feel like they need that because they haven't ever had a personal experience. But anyone who's ever been touched deeply by the love of God or deeply by a, a experience with something paranormal or mystical or unusual, they don't need science to prove something to them. They already know. Once that strikes us, once that hits us, we know what truth is, Philip. We don't need to have somebody else tell us what truth is. We're able to perceive that because of our divinity and because of our interconnectedness with all-knowingness. So the answer to that question is that there is no proof in the sense that you can line it all up, but yet we believe in God, we believe in angels, we believe in heaven. We believe in things that we can't see all the time. We believe it because we feel it, we sense it, we know it. So when our knowingness guides us, science will come, and now science is able to perceive these things because of the type of equipment that they have that can measure things that mystics have been seeing for thousands of years, like the meridians and Chinese medicine and auras, these are all things that are proven now. These are not, these are not anything that is beyond science. It's provable, it's, it's validated, it's documented. Well, yeah, and, and when, the way I would uh, approach this as well to add on to that is that let's suppose even hypothetically for those who are hardcore materialists, that in fact the spiritual view of the world is correct that the perennial philosophy of Aldous Huxley the Buddha the Hindus is actually correct that consciousness is at the root of existence uh, so if you are a scientist and your goal is to find truth or in different words the theory of everything and you decide, well, I'm, I, I'm going to find truth, and I'm only going to find truth if it's measurable on my, on my Geiger counter, on my meter. It seems to me that what you've done in that situation is you've defined what reality you're looking for before you know what that reality is. And I think it's limiting, and I think that's the problem we have in many instances in today's scientific worldview, which is that they've defined the world as materialistic before they've determined what the reality really is. Because if reality is at its base spiritual, then then the meters and these instruments, you know, in some instances they will detect things. I mean, example being some of the experience, uh, some of the experiments that people like Dean Radin and others have done on the paranormal you can detect these things but the point is is that because it's intensely personal 
it's something that you know in your heart it's true and, and for someone like you I would think it would be impossible for someone to convince you that your mystical insights are not true <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> I mean, it's well it's, it's especially impossible because the book that I wrote is all about really unifying and bridging science and spirituality in a way that it explains all at once consciousness, which is really what we are, is I've taken the last chapter of the book and bridged spirituality and science by explaining, for instance, in quantum mechanics and quantum physics, they have something called entanglement. Philip, I know you're aware of this, and what entanglement is, is there's a theory that when you um, when you separate, let's say you separate an electron and you have one electron that's created in in uh, in New York, and you separate it and you put that electron, part of that electron or whatever, in Russia, that when you when the electron is stimulated in Russia, then the one in New York is going to respond. Well, science it can't science can't really reconcile classical physics and quantum physics because they don't understand that what they're really seeing is that entanglement isn't that we're all connected. Entanglement is that we're all identically the same essence. So what you're viewing is we perceive ourselves as separate, but what's really happening is that quantum wave and particles simultaneously always exist and that they're never separated, even when you can only see particle, which is a single identity. Wave and quantum essence is still fully present. So that when science starts, and that's what I've brought forward in my book, this book is really all about the unifying theory and how all of this really works. It's really not just about my experiences. It's really about why and how all of this really works, Philip. And it really shows that Buddha and all of these great religions are its aspects of the truth that humanity was ready for at that time. But now because our consciousness is more unfolded and we're actually more fully conscious than we've ever been, then we can really understand and perceive things that we've never been able to perceive. And science is bringing forward things at the same time that our consciousness is really ready for us to accept these things. And the whole book is really written to help people understand how all of this really works. It's not really written just as a journey of enlightenment or to bring forward that mystical side. It's really to tie out and to unify this. This is actually the unifying theory and the unifying principle that science has been searching for. But they're just looking at it as though it's, quote, consciousness. They're not really able to perceive it as though I've explained it in the book and how I've explained it. But, and even more importantly, Philip, the whole part, the whole importance of writing a book like this is that all of us are at this moment in collective human consciousness because now is the time for us to awaken and understand this as part of the blueprint of our awakening. This was all when collective human consciousness was created. This was all divinely intended to be occurring now so that we could really understand what we had fallen asleep to, because really we're in a dream of misperception, Philip. We're really in a state of divine amnesia. We really don't, 
we really don't evolve. Our consciousness never evolves. Consciousness always just is everything that is, was, and will be. We, for instance, they think that when you're in surgery and when you're under anesthesia, that you're not conscious, that the consciousness goes somewhere. That's not true. We're not in a awakened state, but we are fully conscious. Consciousness is always present, Philip, and as science and doctors really start understanding this, they're going to understand that divine, all-knowing consciousness is always fully present in every single thing, and that's what we're here to awaken to. So I've kind of given you... No, no, I think this is... No, this is good, but, but I, I want to emphasize something here, and that is that we are having this conversation... And we come at this same topic from different angles. You know that I'm I'm on the logical I'm the type, but and you come at it from sort of the inward journey. But but the two of us we we sort of reach the same conclusion at the end of the investigation. And I think that 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 is something that I think is extremely important. The the um, the, this magazine article that I have in front of me from, from Newsweek, you just said that, you know, modern science needs to sort of take a different perspective, uh, understanding that there is a role, a primary role for consciousness. But I think that what we need to do is we need to put the language of mysticism in, in sort of a logical narrative because because my own view is that is that as spiritual beings we rise to the realization that we are one i mean and this this is this is sort of the exact same thing that uh, the hindus say and the buddhists say but we're having this conversation today in modern language and 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 what i would like to emphasize to the listener is that if if the buddha was right if hinduism is correct if all the all the mystics throughout the the ages have have been correct about the unity of consciousness then we need to talk about this topic out in the open this is not something that we need to talk about behind closed doors and, and modern science itself is still looking at this issue from the standpoint of the of, of materialism they're looking at it through the lens mm -hmm. of materialism and, and i think quantum theory is a really good example because I think that quantum theory is sort of a, a consequence of the spiritual nature of our world, as opposed to the materialist that would say, oh, well, quantum theory is the correct picture of physical reality, and yeah, there's some weird things like entanglement that show that there's you know there's certain mysteries we don't understand. They're, they're, they're not, they haven't given themselves up to the consequences that their own theories are showing. Uh, this, I, I want to read because it's so uh, apropos to what we're talking about, and this is this neuroscientist who, who wrote this new book, Proof of Heaven, Eben Alexander. He says here, uh, the plain fact is that the materialistic picture of the body and brain as the producers rather than the vehicles of human consciousness is doomed. In its place, a new view of mind and body will emerge, and in fact is emerging already. This view is scientific and spiritual in equal measure, and will value what the greatest sciences of history, 
themselves have always valued above all truth. This is a materialistic neuroscientist who had a mystical life-after-death uh, experience and is now a convert. So, and this is in Newsweek magazine showing Yeah, to me, and you know, you know Philip, it, it's amazing that they put that on the cover of Newsweek magazine when any of us who have ever experienced heaven, all right, from, that aren't scientists, have never made the cover of Newsweek magazine. It took an actual scientist to do it, and therein is our problem, Philip. Yeah. Our problem is there's millions of people that have had near-death experiences. There's millions of people that have talked to loved ones that have crossed over, even our pets that cross over. And, it, and now all of a sudden a scientist experiences, so we're all supposed to stop dead in our tracks and say, yeah. oh, now we can all accept it. <laughs> yeah, it's like all of us have already accepted that, Philip, a long time ago. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. But it, it, it comes down to, it's sort of like, uh, what, what better way, though, to convince sort of the diehard materialists than if they themselves have the experience? Uh, and so I, I think it's I think it's good, but and I also think it's I would agree with you it's vindication, it, it's it's vindication and and uh, it's it appears as if it is some it's sort of like an outlier. Okay, this guy was in a coma. Okay, he was a neuroscientist, um, but he describes it very clearly. And and in fact, what struck me about this article, Carol, was that it's it it uh, it sounded like like your book which i would recommend it your you know your book is extremely mind opening and and it it's it's the it's the insights that you have um have achieved have gained from from your life but i also agree with you that you go beyond your own personal experiences you're you're searching for that answer uh so now, well, I'm not, I'm not searching anymore, Philip. I found the answer, and what I'm looking forward to is the day that I can sit down with scientists like Dr. Wolf and, and, and explain to them why they see the things they see in quantum science. I understand why they see it, Philip. I, I'm not searching any longer. I understand exactly. I mean, think of it this way, all right? It's not just a matter of consciousness. It's the whole purpose of life. I, the, the book doesn't just go into a lot of the depth about who we are, why we're here. It really explains the entire purpose of life, and that was through the creation of collective human consciousness, because really, before there was collective human consciousness, Philip, before there was what we would call all of these different realms and dimensions, there was one divine energy there was one it was one dimensional it was divine energy and divinity which means us had fallen asleep to ourselves to our true nature we had begun perceiving ourselves as a collective all much like buddhism and our different religions we're still carrying that over into human consciousness right now philip because we still perceive ourselves as either being one uh, entire essence, one divine essence where there's no individuality, or as a part of this whole. And in truth, divinity isn't in us or we're in divinity. We in divinity are identically the same essence. And so this whole concept that 
you know, we're simultaneously existing on Earth as a quantum essence, meaning that we're a quantum potential at any given moment, and we're also a particle. We're also an individual expression. So the whole... The whole book was written to really explain this to people, to really explain how all this works. This, and I really, I would love for science to take it seriously, Philip, because I'm hoping I'll live long enough to see it, but it will be proven out that this is the unifying theory, and this does explain how this works, why we're here, and we're here to really awaken and understand the truth of ourselves. I just want to pose one thing. Because I had somebody ask me this question once. And, you know, we tend to think of Buddha and enlightenment as that is the enlightenment to the ultimate truth. And really, when I was doing these subconscious, these experiences going into the subconscious, which is really the collective all-knowing consciousness that all of us simultaneously experience. But when I experience these things... For example, my husband was an enlightened Buddha, all right, in a lifetime, in a past life. Now, we're probably going a, a way we hadn't expected tonight, but this is an important point that I want to make. And, but yet, he's back, Philip. He's in this lifetime. And my question is, if we attain enlightenment, if that's really the true purpose of being in human consciousness, then why is he back? And I can answer that, because he hadn't really attained the ultimate truth that divinity, that creator, wants us to understand about ourselves. And that truth isn't that we're just a one or a part of something, but we're identically an individual, a collective, and each and every one, and it's not a way that we've typically ever perceived in human consciousness. So the answer is that if we're we're really here if we really want to understand who we are. And if science is, is really serious about understanding, then they need to have conversations with people that have been given that glimpse, that insight, that depth of understanding, that enlightenment, to be able to help them understand what they are seeing and then to help us understand what we what other things we might not yet have perceived, Philip. So it could really work beautifully to have, and I know they're doing symposiums now on uh, spirituality and science, and it really needs to get that way so that we can really bridge this because it's not going to be found in just one or the other. It's going to be both of us reaching across and taking hands and working unitedly to bring it forth to human consciousness. The answer is already in my book. All right, and I'm going to stand by that, and it's a bold statement that some little girl that was four years old has been given the answer to who we are and why we're here and how all of this works, but I am going to stand by that. I think that that was my divine destiny to bring this forward, Philip. Yeah, and, and it is, and you do a good job of, of, of explaining it, and I think that it's, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the way you approach this is that after going through your inward journey, your experiences, your analysis, you wind up at, at the same place that that the the historical mystical tradition has wound up in my in, in my opinion. You put it in different words. And let me let me be sort of controversial right now. Um, and because I, I, I want to talk about this 
core issue about what we're what our purpose is. One of my issues with Eastern religion is that some of some of them tend to, to uh, want us to return to the one. Mm-hmm. They they want us to return to this to I would call it an ephemeral sea of nothingness, or a sea of energy, and merge merge with Brahman or merge with the one. See, I don't think that that is correct. I, no, I don't, because I don't think hey, is, I, yeah. if you're like me, I didn't go through all of this just to go to sleep again, right, Philip. Right, exactly. That's exactly I mean, my I'm point. I'm not interested in going to sleep again. Right, that's, what, I, that's exactly my point. We're going the opposite direction. That's my well, point. Well, it's because it's not ultimate truth, Philip. Right. It's their perception. Yeah. Look, it, it it's whatever. When you're looking at truth, and and I actually stood there and with Creator. And this is a bold thing to say, but this is what happened to me. I stood there with Creator, and I saw Creator paint collective human consciousness. I saw creation. I saw the purpose of all of this. And when that happened, I realized that as we're standing as the time of Christ or the time of Buddha or the time of Muhammad, our perception of truth is based on where we're standing in relation to what ultimate truth is, Philip. And if we're not really standing in ultimate truth, then we're going to skew that perception of truth based on whatever our, our mind is, whatever else is in there. And so Buddha, I'm telling you, my, this is not the same thing as Buddha. It's not the same thing as Hindu. It's not the same thing as Christianity. It's really the ultimate truth of how this all works, because in truth... I agree with you about Eastern philosophy and religion, that we go back to nothingness. Okay, Philip, here is how I'm going to explain it. You know in quantum physics, the quantum side is like the unlimited nothingness. Let's think of it that way, right? Would you agree with that? Okay. Okay. And then, all right, so let's imagine that right over on that quantum nothingness, that's what the Eastern philosophy says that we're going back to. Philip, that's where we started. What I'm saying is when divine energy was in that one-dimensional state, we were already in that quantum oneness. We were already in that. We had fallen asleep to our individuality. We had fallen asleep that we were simultaneously everything all at once. And so collective human consciousness was created to give us space to be able to perceive because when you're in a one-dimensional state of consciousness like divine energy, how do you awaken yourself if there's no room, if there's no space, if there's no mirror, if there's no reflection? You can't wake up. And so what happened is divinity, creator who was fully conscious, fully realized, fully actualized, fully awake, wanted the rest of divinity to awaken. And so I'm saying that I'm not going back to that. That's where we came from, Philip. What I'm saying is what all of this is about right now, the end of the Mayan calendar, why humanity seems to be experiencing more interaction with the paranormal, it's because the dimensions are collapsing. We're consciously awakening, and we're going back to that one-dimensional state. But when we go back to that one-dimensional state, we will be fully, consciously awakened to our true divine self. And so it's not what Buddha thought 
and it's not what they say in Eastern philosophy. It's that we're our individual consciousness continues and our individual, think of it as our soul divinity. And then we have our collective divinity and then we have each and every other divinity, which is everything. And it's almost too much to go into in a conversation like this because it really needs to unfold as you're reading it. And it really needs to continue to unfold because even when you think you get your head wrapped around it, you really don't because it's not that kind of a philosophy where we're either, and I hear it all the time from spiritual people, we're one. And one time I said, what does that mean? And, and they said, well, uh, I said, what does that really mean when you say we're all one? How, how, do, how do we awaken thinking that? How do, we, how do we utilize it? What is it? The truth is that we're all one and we're our individual essence and we're everything all at the same time, but we're in the human embodiment so it's very hard to perceive that. So our way in human form is to think of ourselves as one, but if we don't move past that, Philip, we're going to keep repeating, and I believe in reincarnation, I've experienced it, so we're going to keep reincarnating, thinking that we're enlightened only to be back here again because we're not enlightened to what Creator wants us to enlighten to, which is the whole purpose of collective human consciousness. So I agree with you. I'm not going back asleep, Philip. I'm, I'm awake, and I'm going to try to help as many other people awaken as I can by writing more and more books to help people understand this. And maybe it, it, people will begin to understand that it's not a question of going back to being one. We're not going back to snoodling, Philip. <laughs> well, this is, this is, this is where, and, and of course we're going to be, if we haven't done it already, we're, we're hitting some radical ground here. But but one one uh, sort of spin I would put on this is using the Garden of Eden as an example, uh, because I I think we've got to be really practical about this about this topic this topic about the one splits in the many and then the many realize they are one. Okay, that's sort of the way I would put it. I put well, it but they're actually all the other ones at the same time too. That's the difference, Philip. See, that's the part we've never gotten. It, 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 you know, it's like, I, I wrote about this in the book, it's like somebody standing, uh, like somebody st putting a leaf up and holding a leaf up and saying that that leaf is God. Well, it's, it's, it's not very hard to understand that God, we think God would be in that leaf, but what that really means is no. That leaf is identically a leaf, an individual expression of consciousness at the same time that all-knowing, divine consciousness is fully present. So what I'm saying is that it's not a question of us going back to one, and it's not a question of us uh, thinking that we're just an individual, but it's a question of us really starting to perceive that we're everything all at once. Divinity is always fully present. It's like, and I, the way I explained it in the book is how we typically perceive all of this is that we're a soup, Philip, that we're a stew, that divine, all-knowing consciousness, let's, let's say that omnipresence is a carrot, and um, uh, omni, the, the, the all-powerful is a potato, and uh, all-knowingness as far as uh, being fully present everywhere is a pea. 
And we, we tend to think of divinity as these components, divine energy as these components like a stew, when in truth, divine energy is a broth. It's a broth of beingness, Philip. Nothing can be separated. So all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-conscious, and all-present, and all-benevolent is all identically the same thing, no matter how you perceive it. That's what we don't understand, Philip. Okay, That's okay. what we need to understand. Okay, now let me, let me, let me, uh, I don't know if I completely uh, agree with that, and, and maybe, but and, and let me articulate this, because uh, uh, I was using the, the Adam and Eve example, and my point is, is that is that all is okay, let's let's assume all is one however you want to uh, interpret that but there's okay so there's this broth but the but the one splits into many and and to be and to use a very simple example we have Adam and Eve in a garden and, and we could use it as a myth it doesn't have to be whether you think it's real or not it's an, is a, is not really that important the point is is that when when the energy want to call it that or mind or consciousness uh, transforms itself into living human beings mm -hmm. those human beings need to relate to each other and and they need to understand they need to get along with each other you're acting out the story see i think we're acting out a story in real time and, and it's not it's not as if we're going to fly off and become angels tomorrow maybe someday in the future but the point is, is that the people have to get along with each other. And the only way, in my mind, is for, the, for Adam and Eve, and if we multiply that by a couple billion for all the people to get along, is realizing the truth of what you're saying and what I think what I'm saying, which is that, which is that the underlying unity of all existence. If you use that as your foundation, as your scientific truth, now, now, now you have a way to rise above our current level of consciousness, a rise above our scientific worldview, and 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 bring this 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 high-sounding truth into reality. See that? But so, but it doesn't explain it. I love it. I love it as an example, Philip. But think of it this way: that Adam and Eve are really a reflection of divinity trying to perceive its divinity. Right. And, yes, it is an experience, it is a dream, it is us trying to comprehend. That is, I, I accept that, and I do believe that's truth. But where I go a little bit off here, and I'm going to say something just right out, it doesn't explain why a human being can experience entanglement like I've experienced in, in physical reality because that's a quantum thing. How can we experience the uh, something that's happening in a person? I mean, I have an example of that. That uh, I have one in the book, but I have an even more profound one of experiencing um, entanglement. And when we experience entanglement, how is this possible if we're not all identically the same? We're not just one. We're all identically the same divine essence in individual expression, and at the same time, each and every one of those individual expressions is the allness of the divine. Philip, it is, it really does explain all of it, but it takes, you have to really, really let your mind go and really start at the beginning 
and understand that it is just one divine consciousness, but this consciousness is fully conscious as an individual as well. It's not that that individual separates from divine consciousness and then it has its own unique individual consciousness. Consciousness is all identically the same, whether it's subconscious, conscious, higher conscious, divine conscious. There is only one inseparable, indivisible consciousness, and it's our perception that makes us perceive it in different as different aspects, Philip. No, I would. That's I, what. Yeah, that's yeah, I, yeah. The, I I completely agree with that. I mean, I think that it's it's the illusion of separateness. That's where I would put it. There, yeah, there's an it illusion. Is. There's an illusion of separateness. But what I but but you see, uh, I think we might be saying the same thing in different ways here. But what I'm saying is that without separateness, all you have is this undifferentiated oneness. This 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 sea of energy. So, so, so I think the one differentiates itself or separates uh, through through an apparent separation, because you can't because there is no other way to separate. And, well, and, 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 I I so can therefore, see why yeah. I, I can I I used to think that Philip I, I can see why I can see why we all think that, but really the truth of the matter is that even when we're in that individual, we separate. We're not really. That individual consciousness is as fully conscious as divine conscious, but we don't know it until our consciousness awakens to this aspect, Philip, and that's what we're in collective human consciousness to finally comprehend. And I'm saying that in human form, you're right that it's hard to differentiate, but the point is that when we, if we let our minds really and our consciousness really understand how all of this really works, when we go back to, like, when we pass from this plane of consciousness, we will never, ever experience the suffering that we've experienced in collective human consciousness ever again, Philip, because once the consciousness shifts, it's forever shifted, and we never, ever unknow what we, what we have perceived. And once we perceive we're really not separate, and once we perceive how all of this works then that's what's going to end our suffering, because I think that's what's at the heart of humanity's suffering, Philip, is, is our separation. Hmm. Well, this, this is, um, I think, an important topic, if not the most important topic, because it goes to sort of healing what ails humankind. Yes. And, and so the goal ultimately is to figure it out and communicate it. Yeah, and I think that it's it's extremely important f- uh, for for everyone to understand that this is not something that only a selected few have the privilege of knowing or of understanding. That's true. That yeah. that there is that if and, and frankly, Carol, it's got to be the case that anybody could access the truth because absolutely because we're all identically right. the same essence and every one of us possesses the all-knowing divine consciousness even though we're not aware of it it's a matter of allowing our consciousness the only difference between me and you philip is that energetically because of the life that i've lived and the exposure and really trusting it and really moving with all of that I've gone deeper and deeper and further and further into allowing it to come forward. 
that's the only thing that separates any one of us from that that sense of perception of this all-knowing truth. And this whole concept that these things like like my clairsentience, my clairvoyance, my ability to heal, these things that I possess, all right, all of us possess these things. It's just that I'm more awakened to it, but it's not that... Um, some of us have these gifts and other people don't have them. That's not true at all. Everybody, we all are identically the same essence. We all have this. It's just to what degree and level can we allow it to come forward in our conscious, in our waking conscious existence, Philip? That's the secret, allowing it to come forward in our waking mind. And, and it's, it, 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 that is really an exciting point. And, uh, and it's sort of, to me, it all begins with opening your mind to the possibility that it could happen. Yeah. And I, and I think so many people, so many people, uh, uh, the skeptics in the crowd, of which they usually are the majority, would, would sort of rule themselves out of this being even something to think about before they even try. And, 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 and to me, it's so ironic because, A, uh, science is based upon the open-minded inquiry into truth. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and number two, uh, by limiting yourself, I think you, you're limiting what you can be. And I think, I think Bruce Lipton uh, in The Biology of Belief, we had uh, Bruce on a couple of weeks ago, uh, he, he had some, some line in that book, The Biology of Belief, where he basically said that the only limits that really exists are the limits you place upon yourself. And, and it's I, I think so that's, true, I think that's Philip. Really good. And you know what's really, it's sad. It's really, to me, it's sad because I didn't write this book because, I didn't write this book because I needed to know this. I already understand this. I wrote this book as a gift from divinity, uh, from our divine essence to ourself, to our conscious self. So that we would understand who we are and how magnificent we are and how much potentiality. Some of the things I talk about in this book that I've experienced, like simultaneous multiple states of consciousness at the same time, teletransporting, actually dematerializing, Philip. I mean, these are very profound things and they happened. And they can happen, they happened to me because I think I was supposed to be living proof of this because of the life that I was going to lead to bring this forward. But I, it's, it's all of us can do this. All of us have this ability. All of us have this potential. You know, one of the things that I said in my book that I think was one of the most important things that, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I really love about us is, you know, we're, we're one consciousness, one light expressing through the multifaceted prism of our own essence. And the other thing is our consciousness is the only thing that allows us to experience absolute transcendence. Now, if you're not a curious person, and if you don't really want to know who you are, and if you don't want to understand your relationship with yourself and with divinity and with universe and with how all of this works, stay asleep. It's safer right now because you're not ready. Right. But for anyone who's curious about that, why wouldn't you want to become more conscious, Philip? Why wouldn't you want to be able to do the things that we can do? Why wouldn't you want to 
put on your wings and test fly? Why wouldn't you want to do yeah, that? Well, well, the way I put it, I mean, the way I put this is in, in different words. I say, uh, write your own story. Why right. would why wouldn't you want to write your own story and right. be and be the 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 highest form of being that you can be? The the I I, I want to uh, address another sort of controversial question here, which which uh, comes up because one of one of my one of my issues or or one of my sort of cons- questions is is dealing with the the use of the word divine energy. And even the word God, mm-hmm. I know that in in uh, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, he he articulates a very uh, sort of uh, established argument uh, against against God, because he says that okay, well those people who say that it all began with God, then how do you explain God? And so, so I, I'm wondering whether you believe there is any explanation for that topic. Or, or well, yeah, I do. I, I, and I struggled with this myself because as a little girl who fell in love, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still in love with divine energy, God, whatever you want to call it, that benevolent presence. And the only difference, what I was shown, Philip, is that... And this is, if you really want to go controversial, we're going to go there right now, that we and divinity are identically the same thing. Now, if you say the phrase, I am God, then you put yourself in a state of identification, and now you're separate. Because it really is, I am that I am. There is no identity in divine energy, Philip. It just is. Like truth just is, love just is, divinity just is. So how I would answer that question is, and I've had this argument with my own sister because she thinks it's blasphemy that I say to her that, you know, we are, yes, there is, there is a divine presence, and it's us and divinity and it's all the same thing, and that creator is really just the divine essence that's more fully awakened and consciously aware, Philip. So, but to say that there's a difference between God and me, and there is no difference in energy. There is no difference at all in energy. It's all the same consciousness. And I wrote about this because it was very hard when, when divine benevolence came into the room in consciousness and gave this to me, and I argued, I, I argued with it because I needed God to be above me, Philip. I needed God to be a supreme being. And because of all my, my whole life, I had adored God. I had worshipped God. It, it was my ideal. And now all of a sudden, God, creator, divine energy is telling me that there's no difference between us and divine energy. And I realized that it's the truth, Philip. So well, well, that's 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 um, you know I would I would agree with that, and there isn't any um, sort of conflict in what you've said in many of the mystical writings throughout history. You know, remember that that one saying in Hinduism, "That art thou." Yes. I you. It's the same. It's the same thing. You know, the whole thing about Atman. 
being part of Brahman, you know, the self being part of the of the oneself. But but what I really and and you know we're we're sort of uh, down to this ultimate question. But I I'm raising it because it is the leading argument against against this line of thinking, which is the one that Dawkins articulated in the in the God delusion, which is what is the source of source. Can we answer that question? We can't. We, okay. I have, I have been told that I know the answer to this, but I don't know it consciously yet. And it's my hope that I would understand it before I pass from human experience, Philip. But I can tell you that the, the, I've seen as far back as that it's divine. It's a vibration. The vibration of love is at the core of everything. Think of divine consciousness, divine energy, God. It's the vibration of love, and everything manifests from... Think of it like everything manifests from this... It's static or kinetic, and that consciousness controls what manifests and what doesn't manifest, and that everything, all matter, manifests from the vibration of love. So at the core of everything is the vibration of love. And there is a divine consciousness. There is a divine energy. There is a divine vibration. But how did that divine vibration come about? I don't know the answer to that. But I have gone back and I have been tugging on divine energy, asking the question, Philip, because how did it come about? If you really get to the conclusion that everything is divine consciousness, divine vibration of love, energy, everything is, is made manifest from this, well, then you have to ask what was before this. But we have to remember that we think linear, and divine energy always is, was, and will be. It was always alpha and omega at the same time. It's always simultaneously everything and nothingness. It's the void and the all. So I don't know that we need to go back to that to be able to live our lives joyfully, consciously, abundantly, Philip. I don't know that we have to go back before that. We just have to understand that there, there is an answer to that, and I don't know what it is, but it doesn't stop us because we can go back to the creation of how all of this started and understand what it is we're supposed to come to fully comprehend. And I think if we do that, we don't need to worry so much about the other thing, that that will just unfold as our consciousness unfolds more and more, Philip. But I do agree with you. There is that. It's the chicken and the egg. Which came first? How, I, I do the same thing myself. I don't disagree with what you've what you've brought forward, but I don't think we need to know that to be able to know who we are and why we're here, Philip. I and I again, I, I would agree with you one one more time, and because I don't think I think that in in my own uh, view of this, I think we are on the wings of a miracle, and, and 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 it's not necessary for us to know how it happened, because we know that we're here, and I but I think right. the key thing here. And this is why this is so important in the modern scientific world that we're living in. And that is that 
that if we take this as far as as you've taken it and as far as I try to take it we could we we could know that at the root there is a spiritual energy vibration yes. whatever word we're using okay let's just use the word god as essence. being just as being essence. An, essence. an essence an essence that is a lot more powerful and i think obviously a lot more true than saying that in the beginning there was a singularity or a particle. There, there wasn't a, a singularity. Or, 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 there was right, one. Right, there right, was or one, a particle. Or a particle. Right. About, right and right. see, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. Science tries to make it as though it got filtered down. They're trying to go all the way back to the, you know, the big boom and all of that. And, and what happens is they're trying to get it down to one little particle. And, Philip, I'm going to tell you that when they get to that one particle... That one particle is at the same time everything. Right. Because it hasn't manifested yet doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I can get into very lengthy conversations about this because I understand this so completely that even if you get it down to a pin size, a pinhead particle, Philip, everything that is, was, or will be still simultaneously exists as that perceived particle. That particle is our perception of a reality. But in truth, everything is and isn't real. It isn't real at all. And, you know, you talk about heaven. Um, heaven is real because we, have, as collective human consciousness, have made it real, Philip. Isn't that what you think, too? Right, right, right. And, okay. And I, right, right. And I, wanna, and I want to just sort of bring this to a conclusion because because the uh, the hour has gone by extremely fast, which I kind of thought it was going to, but but the point that I want to lead leave the listener with is that if if you start writing a story, and your story begins with ultimate reality being essence, yes. God, divine yes. energy, and then you tell the story with that being your plot. The, the end of that story is going to be a, 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 a billion times brighter than the story that you write if you conclude that it all began with a faraway Big Bang uh, yeah. from a singularity. Because that exactly. particular creation came, was outside of us. It was, it's, it's hypothesized to be outside of us. And it, and, it, and it means that our essence, rather than being spirit... Their essence is this mindless, careless, random particle, and and it's important, I think, for for everybody to figure out what story they they're going to tell themselves and what story they're going to live their lives by. And so and so, yeah. uh, Carol, I want you to say to say a couple more things, a couple things in conclusion about your book and how to, and, and how people could learn more about it because it, it's something. And just let me say, it's a unique. Uh, sort of narrative from somebody who's who has who has been to places most of us will never be or 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 have never been maybe we'll someday get there oh you're but, you're probably <laughs> already there you're just yeah, not aware right, you're there right, yet. exactly exactly so so carol's book is is extremely mind-opening and i think it's it's a real it's also a very it's a very invigorating read but but I, I just wanted to make sure that at the end here, we all understood that this is the question of our age. 
This this is this yeah. is this is the question that is confronting us every day. What story we're going to tell ourselves, and when we'll break free from this materialistic sort of imprisonment. Well, that, and why that, not tell ourselves the truth? Because right. Philip, there is no doubt in my mind, and you can join me for a cup of coffee in heaven after this <laughs> plane of consciousness, and we can coffee clutch and discuss this forever because we'll have that much time to do it. Right. But I, I know in my heart that this is our story. This isn't just my story. This isn't just how I perceive things. This is the story of collective human consciousness and what's intended for us and what our divine destiny is. We will reconcile what is not reconciled within us, and that's the entire purpose. And once we reconcile all of that, Philip, we are going to live extraordinary, extraordinary experiences, conscious experiences. So I say everything happens across the fabric and the fiber of collective human consciousness, of divine consciousness, and this big boom theory and all of this all happened within divine consciousness. So if you start with that as your center, I really believe you're going to have your feet firmly planted in reality and truth to be able to understand how all of this works. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, Carol, thank you so much for your time. And and I, I try to alert the listeners that we were going to be covering <laughs> some different ground here. But remember, folks, all we have done is really to put in, in 2012 terms many of the same themes that have been with us since the beginning of time. We're reaching the point now where we're articulating these things and through and through the abilities of people like Carol Romine, we, we are starting to understand it better. So Carol, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much it's, and I just welcome everyone to visit my website which is www.carolromine.com to learn a little bit more and just explore what the reality of us is really all about, Philip. And I thank you so much for bridging spirituality and science the way that you do, because that's the way that we're really going to understand ourselves and our universe, Philip. So Carol Mine is somebody that you have to keep in mind because she is deep, she's a real mystic, and she has been to places many of us have never been, but maybe someday will get there. So right now, let's move on. Let's talk to Lynn Paul of Like Spectrums. Uh, every once in a while, we like to highlight an organization or individual on the show that is out there expanding minds, gathering people with similar visions, uh, whether it's a rising consciousness, whether it's a new age principle, or whether they're just seeking to explore some spiritual territory uh, left uncovered by science or, or organized religion. And so today I'm very happy to have Lynn Paul from Life Spectrums. Now Lynn is a very active member of this organization, Life Spectrums, and she was the uh, former uh, chairperson, and she knows a lot about it. So first of all, welcome to the show, Lynn. It's good having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so first of all, what is Life Spectrums? Basically, Life Spectrums is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization which was founded in 1980 in Pennsylvania. 
and the primary premise was for the dissemination of ideas on the age of consciousness type of themes. I see. And what and what is the age, the age of consciousness? And and what do you mean by that? Different topics that um, back in the early '80s were not readily available for people to explore. Things are much more commonplace now. Um, back in the early '80s, we were doing, you know, um, reflexology and Reiki, and there was spirit communication and mediums, um, uh, a lot of healing modalities, polarity therapy, UFO witnesses, numerology, Kabbalah, shamanism, Native American teachings, medicine wheel, a lot of different topics that were not commonplace back in the 80s. Yeah, you know, that is a that is an interesting observation because it is really true that if you think back uh, 30 uh, years ago or so, uh, even, even in the hippie era, the state and number of organizations like yours were really on the fringes. And it is, it's, it's really true, as, as we've seen on, on this show, that there's more and more people sort of moving these new, the, this new thinking, these new um, ideas into the mainstream. I don't think we're there yet, but it's, it, I think it's really noteworthy that life, that life Spectrums has been around for so long. Now, now how did it get started? Basically, it was birthed out of another organization, SFF, which I believe stood for Spiritual Fellowship Frontiers. Right. And the organization had grown to about a thousand people and back in the early 80s. And it became very large. And then there was a group of people that wanted it to become maybe a little bit more fundamental or religious. And there was another group that just wanted open thought which would not advocate any single philosophy or religious doctrine, but invited everybody to come for personal and spiritual growth. Right. And so that group broke off in 1980 and started Life Spectrums and primarily had a week-long conference um, that would include lectures, a healing center, there would be consultations, there would be workshops, uh, music, a bookstore, and people would come and be immersed in this environment for a week-long event. Now, now, how are you seeing your audience change over time? Is, is this, is, has there been some kind of uh, shift in the, in, the, in the people, in the number of people, or the type of people that are, that are participating in your organization? Yes, there has been a shift. Um, you know, we're seeing much smaller numbers, and I think I attributed that to a lot of the things that we do and the topics are very much out there in the mainstream. You mentioned things aren't really mainstream, but I think people are much more accepting now of uh, near-death experiences, um, spirit communication, animal communication. We see it in the films and we see it things in media. We see like the sixth sense. We see things in the newspapers. Um, and certainly on the on the internet, um, just about anything is available for people. So I think a lot of information now is available to people through different sources. So they don't need to travel and take time and money to come to a place to be with like like-minded people. However, the people that are still coming are very much in community, and they come together because it is a community. 
that's a, a I think an important observation you're making, uh, which is that uh, in my own mind, the, uh, I don't think that this. Uh, I'm not sure what what term to use. Maybe new spirituality movement uh, is in the mainstream only because the scientific community has not quite bought into it. But on the other hand, I think you're right that if you look at modern culture and and pop culture, uh, there's all sorts of TV shows, magazines, um, and other media focused on the new on this new spirituality. But I think it's great that an organization like yours is still going. And I, I guess in closing, I'd like to ask you how people can learn more about Life Spectrums. Um, basically going to the website, um, www.lifespectrums, all one word, .org, and that gives you some information, and then people can take it from there. Um, they can see what we're about and some of our past presenters and things of that nature. Okay, that's that's good. And and lastly, I, I always like to ask guests uh, about about this topic because it intrigues me, and that is, have, have you in your time seen a shift in consciousness or a a growth in awareness however however that's phrased have, have are, are you seeing any change out there in, in the way people are viewing themselves in the world yes i really do think there has been a very slow shift in consciousness and i really think we're on the evolution of a new era um, and we see the earth evolving with earth changes and people reacting to those earth changes. And I think, you know, there may be chaos and there may be some breaking down of old structures, but I think something wonderful is going to be birthed. Um, I think we're going to see some of the ancient wisdoms resurface and they'll be shared. Um, I think I'm seeing more telepathic communication and and the knowledge of energy of emotions and thoughts and that it's all an energy form and you know things like commonplace like you saw the law of attraction come out a few years ago it you know hit mainstream and those are come some of the basic principles that i think that people are searching they're seeking they're at a time where they need more than what they have in their lives so i do think we are on the edge of a new time. Yeah, I love I love when people say that because I I think that that is the that is definitely true, and it's always good to know that I'm not the only one who thinks that, and also that people who like you have been, who have been doing this for so long see that there is some change in the air. So, Lynn, I'd like to thank you for your time. Uh, Life Spectrums, look them up. They've been around for a while. I think they're they're on to something. They have been on to something for a while here. And uh, try to learn a little bit more about them. Uh, this is Philip Miriton. Join us next week where we'll have Rupert Sheldrake. And we'll be talking about the science delusion. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.